0: Creative monetization strategies so you do not get locked in with one platform or one vendor. And because, look, you're not aligned perfectly with these platforms or these vendors. You're not orthogonal, but you're not aligned. And when YouTube decides to move in a different direction or Facebook or whoever... You don't want to be saying, "Well, that's 100
1: of my revenue, and now I got no revenue, so it's time to go back to Starbucks." In this episode, we talk with Jim Lauderback. Jim is one of the most respected figures in digital media, with 20-year history of leadership intersecting with publishing and technology. Jim currently runs VidCon as a standalone division of Viacom. VidCon is the world's largest online video conference in Anaheim, Amsterdam, London, and Australia. In 2018, he played a leading role in the sale of VidCon to Viacom. Throughout his career, Jim has earned a reputation as a visionary who excels in leading startups, growth business, and turnarounds. He was also the CEO of Revision3, where he helped drive 20x increase in viewers, 12x increase in revenue from 2007 to 2012. This is Creative Disruption, in
2: the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your host, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves.
1: All right, welcome back to the Creative Disruption Podcast, where we always talk with the people that are actually disrupting the industry. And I am joined here with a live audience. Hey, guys. <laughs> we got five people in the audience. No, <laughs> no we're here at VidCon. I'm super excited, and I'm joined by my cohort, Ricky Ray Butler, of all. That's a great intro. Thank you. You like that? <laughs> co <Co-heart. laughs> Well, you are. It's like You said we're that together. a couple times. I know. I, I, I'm
2: getting used to it. It's
1: you great. don't like that?
2: Um, uh, co-heart's fine.
1: co co-heart, my friend. <laughs> Is that better? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, before we get into it, I absolutely love... VidCon. I do. I've been to VidCon 1, to every VidCon except for... VidCon were you really Amsterdam. at VidCon 1? I was at VidCon 1. Uh, I think you're one of the posers. I think you came later. Oh, please. Like, I was at VidCon 1. No, you were not at VidCon 1. I was. 1. I was. I really was. And I can <laughs> wait, prove it because
2: my first client, um, one of my first clients... Uh, when I started Plaid, it was Aura and they were one of the first sponsors.
1: They, they were the first sponsor, one of the first sponsors of uh, VidCon for sure. But maybe like, oh, you
2: were a lot skinnier back then. Oh, <laughs> I didn't recognize and you probably you. didn't have a beard either. <laughs> well, I no, couldn't grow
1: But no, seriously, like I think what um, you know VidCon started. I, I really love it. It was like celebrating the community of online video, and I truly do believe it disrupted the industry uh, completely. And with VidCon itself, like when I get a new client that doesn't necessarily understand the demographics of the the app, the, the landscape of today's digital mm-hmm. uh, consumers, I like to take them to VidCon, and I like them to experience what happens at VidCon. And it's more happening in Amazon than it is here in London, but it's the effect of who's actually watching the videos and how engaged they are with the creators. Absolutely, I.
2: I have a very special place in my heart for VidCon. I mean, it's really where I started to build my business. Yeah. And where I got to meet a lot of new creators face-to-face when most of the time when I was communicating uh, with influencers, it was, you know, through text or through email. And it was really, you know, a, you know it, it was a really, you know, f- it was the first time to really bring this community together. And then today, <coughs> it's, it's truly become the mainstream. It is it, it is. The, big, the biggest video conference or creator conference in the world.
1: Yeah. And what I love too, it's like coming into a place where there's other people that understand what I'm talking about, you right. know, and they understand the challenges and issues. And so it's been super great. Now we do have. And, and you
2: mentioned you used to take your clients to VidCon oh, so they absolutely. could see the impact. We had to do that a lot, especially in the early days when we used to get left out of rooms when we talked about creators and, and how you should sponsor their content, et cetera, or collab with them. And then we'd take, and we get laughed at, and they'd be like, "No, I don't think that's that, that's really true." And then their kids would find out about it. Would bring them and host them to VidCon, and they'd be able to see how big of an audience and how big of an industry really it really
1: was. Yeah, it, it is unbelievable. <coughs> well, uh, today we are actually talking to someone really special that I I feel like transformed VidCon uh, in a, in a completely different direction. It's a very positive direction for my my standpoint you want to introduce our, our yes today?
2: today we have the ceo of vidcon um oh i, Jim think
1: I don't think he's the ceo anymore you got demoted right uh, well. I, you're still the CMO
2: <laughs> to
0: me, ceo well, to me well here's the thing i'm the gm of vidcon but since we sold to viacom a year ago when we sold they came to me and they're like Viacom really can only have one CEO, and guess what? It's <laughs> not like, you. have two. <laughs> it's not you. And I'm like, all right, fine. Did you say as GM. long as it doesn't well, affect my
1: pay, we're okay?
0: Like I, said, I don't really care. <laughs> Titles don't matter.
2: Well, Jim, you don't only head VidCon and, and we're the CEO of VidCon – um, you were a pioneer in our industry.
0: I was at the first VidCon, too, just so you know. Were you? I, and, Did and, you remember me there? I t- totally remember you. See, I, I told you, Ricky. <laughs> you. I told you. But uh, what <laughs> I remember the most, Daryl, is that you were inside the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> no. So that Aura Brush actually that, had a guy dressed, actually, dressed up as a tongue. Did you really get
2: inside t- the tongue? T- 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 no. it's no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember back then, Daryl, you were not only much skinnier, you'd wear your pants up to your belly button. And like, I mean, your fashion just wasn't there, but today, you know, you're much better looking (laughs) for All right, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) So back to Jim, Um, um, you know, you were at the first VidCon. Um, You also created one of the first MCNs.
0: Well, to set the record straight, I didn't actually create it. Um, A couple of guys that I'd worked with at a cable network that we started called ZDTV, uh, turned around a couple years later and created a, an online video network called Revision 3. And the the idea was that it would recreate the kinds of things we tried to do at Tech TV slash um, ZDTV, uh, but without all the overhead, you know, the satellite trucks and everything else. Right. And um, and I had been doing something similar when I was at PC Magazine as editor-in-chief. And, and they uh, they were raising money for that company and another company, and uh, they ended up getting a bunch of money uh, for a company called Dig. Remember Dig? I love Dig. Yeah. Yeah. So they were raising money for Dig and Revision 3, and they, they had someone want to invest, but... They said, you know, you need a CEO because um, it's just you guys, and you guys should go over to Dig because Dig's going through the roof. So they came to me. Really, it was it was very very early. Um, you know, just a couple things going, on, a couple people working there. Like, you want to come be CEO of our startup? And I was like, yeah, sounds like fun. <laughs> so that, that's how that happened.
1: Yeah. Now now tell us like the landscape. I mean, did you say this is where things are headed? Like you, like because I mean in traditional like being at PC Mag and all that other stuff, it's like. It's a totally different audience, totally different mindset of where things are going. Did you, could you see the writing on the wall that this is where things were translating to?
0: Well, yeah. And, you know, if you've been in the industry long enough, you spot patterns and you see when they repeat themselves. And so I had been in a magazine, PC, um, it wasn't PC Magazine, it was PC Week and then Windows Sources as well, and PC Mag as well. Uh, and seen as the internet came out, it disrupted magazines. Because suddenly, you know, I got a, I got a column in a computer magazine when I was like 28 and then two years later, I went to my first WC3 conference, and the internet was just like, it's this thing called the internet. This is a browser. <laughs> the internet. The internet. And I, I looked at it, and anybody in their basement could write a, a blog about technology. So I was like, oh well, I guess my two-year reign of power is over. And um, but it was great. It was fun. I thought it was great that anybody who was a, a techie and geek, wherever they were, could write about technology and get people to read it and build an audience. So in the, you know, this is two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, when the technology got good enough. For us to be able to create real video programs that were actually entertaining and fun and interesting and distribute them via the internet because the internet got faster uh, it was pretty clear to me that the same thing that happened to print that happened
1: to music was about to happen to video and what was amazing is you're like pushing the the envelope uh, like of digital formats i know you're you were recording and publishing at higher resolutions than a lot of people were doing at the time. And I was like blown away with Revision 3, like the whole, the whole model itself. And I was really impressed with the, the creative that was there too. Yeah, you know, when we started
0: out early on doing, um, the beginning it was video podcasts. We were distributed right. via uh, iTunes, and you know, Break, and Rever, and Blip, and um, Juiced, and all these names that nobody ever remembers. Uh, and then we started putting it on YouTube as well. But yeah, it's we always because we came from a television background and we were geeks. I mean, we ZDTV Tech TV was television about technology. Mm-hmm. We were just basically geeks that got put on the camera. None of us were classically trained television presenters. Uh, and the same thing. Well, you know, when we got into it, we built a really cool state of the art studio, and we were always keeping an eye on technology because we were reviewing it. I was I hosted a show called Fresh Gear for four years at Tech TV where yeah. I'd review new gear. And that didn't go away. We would review it, and when the cool stuff would come out, we we're like, "We're going to put that to use in our studio, and or you know, out doing whatever we were doing." So we always tried to be ahead of the curve on technology as well.
2: Right, and um, you were one of the first companies in our space that really built value and um, was really ahead of the curve. I-, I believe the first, you know, significant acquisition was the acquisition of Revision Three and Discovery Networks.
0: Yeah, so we sold to Discovery in 2012. Um, we were the first, we were among the first. Um, Next New Networks sold oh, to right, Google right. Um, oh, right. about mm-hmm. a, two months before. I mean, interesting. So, Next New Networks was an early online video startup, too. They were all in on YouTube, though. It took us a little, lo, a little bit longer to get all in on YouTube, but we all eventually did. Mm-hmm. And they, so they, uh, they sold to Google a couple months before we did, and I remember having a conversation with Hunter Walk, the guy at Google who bought them, um, probably six or seven months b- before that. I was like, you should buy Revision 3, and turned around and bought Next New Networks. So I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, but it was all right. We were already down the road uh, with Discovery. So Discovery Networks, you know, uh, Animal Planet, Discovery, Honey Boo Boo, all that, they, uh, they bought us.
1: So my, my question is, like, you've been able to see uh, since the beginning, literally, the transformation of content and especially video content online. Um, what are some of the things that you wish that we that people would never have to experience? Like for me, I look at uh, there's a couple things in the industry that I'm like, oh, that's not a very good idea. Um, or it's a good idea, but it's like translated differently. Is there anything that you wish that we would never have done? Well, I,
0: I'm going to take it a little bit differently because having worked in traditional media as it was being disrupted by digital technologies, whether it was print or audio or or movies and TV, I don't, you know, disruptions are hard, and disruption of people's lives are really hard. And the thing that I wish we didn't have to do when we go through these is, is lay off a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I laid off one day 200 people at Tech TV, um, and same thing in the print side. I've, you know, I've had to go through that. And those are not easy because you're disrupting people's lives, and so that happens. But it's something that I wish we didn't have to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like I love Tech TV. Like that was I love screensavers. And there's a few other shows on there that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, But yeah, it's like literally the the human element, and a lot of the stuff you don't need. You know, a satellite truck and all these other things because now, right now, we can do it from the palm of our own phones.
0: Well, and experimentation. Look, you try a lot of different stuff when you're in the disruption phase and a lot of it's not going to work. And so there have been a bunch of, you know, you see it all the time. A great startup, great company, great startup. Like, a company like Defy, right? Oh, my so, gosh. So, well, well, when we were selling. <laughs> let's go there. When but, I, yeah, uh, let's, let's do well, that. Well, look, but when I was out selling Revision 3 uh, and I was talking to a bunch of different companies and I actually had an offer on the table from Alloy which is the company that ended up merging with Break to become Defy. And, you know, it's very similar, I'm sure, to what the Smosh guys went through and what a number of other com- companies that they bought, including Clever and, um, uh, and Generate and a bunch of others. And, you know, it turned out we, we went with Discovery because they had cash. All Ally wanted to give us was stock. But, um, you know, that's an example of a company that great intentions, great employees, they did great things. They did some things that probably weren't so great. But, you know, they just didn't make it.
1: So, so what is your
2: thought? But they on should have. I mean, they, they, they were set up to win. I yeah. mean, I mean they, they did some amazing. I mean, acquiring Smosh or you know, and some of their other like channels. They, they had. Um, they were they were set up to be successful. I mean, wh- wh- where do you think where do you think they they went in the wrong path?
0: I think merging with, and, and I don't know that much about it, um, but I think merging with Break was probably the thing that was hardest for them to digest because it, it was in many ways a merger of equals. Break had been around for a long time, early right. days as well. They had built some good stuff. You know, they were more on the comedy side, on the short form side. I just think taking two pretty big companies <coughs> that had raised a ton of money and had a really, probably a very, very dirty balance sheet, um, or a crowded one at any rate, a lot of investors, <laughs> a lot of people had their fingers in it. You had two really good media executives, Matt Diamond and, um, oh God, what's his name? was running break. Um, Super smart, really good. I think probably putting them together there was, and I don't know, but there could have been some friction there and I just think they, they were an example of a company early on that thought they could get to scale and that scale would get them to profitability. And I don't think that that's the case. And I think you may see that playing out right now when you look at some of the other media companies that have started up in the last five, eight years that think they can get to scale and then get to profitability. But I think in many ways, the, the media industry has changed and the digital side of the media industry has changed.
1: So one thing, uh, Ricky and I was actually in Poland, was it last year or was it? Yeah, yeah it was last year. Um, and, and we can kind of see some patterns happening all around the world since this is global. Uh, one of the big things was there's a lot of MCNs that were starting up in Poland and trying to entice creators to come into their network and so on. And for me, I'm like, oh, no, never, never join a network or anything like that. It's just like, you know, that, that you're, you're allowing control and defies like one of the things that, you know, people are struggling to actually get the money that they actually earned out of that, which is just a horrible, horrible issue. But what's your thoughts like on the whole multi-channel network? Like, well, what, yeah, what
0: MCN multi-channel network collection of um, YouTube creators and other creators. Let's, so let's take a step back. Let's yeah. go back in history. Let's walk it back a minute. Because Revision 3, the company that I ran, uh, was an MCN. Uh, we became one for a number of, of reasons. And um, the reason why, and this is 2009, 2010, is because YouTube grew so fast that they didn't have enough support people on staff to actually support all of the creators that needed it. They, they didn't even have a creator support team. Right, well, that's why they right. bought Next New Network. <laughs> exactly. So Next New Networks, they had the creator playbook and they turned into that. But they didn't have enough people to support it So they abdicated that support responsibility to networks like us. So they created these, they they allowed multi-channel networks like us to um, sign up some of these, a lot of these top creators in many cases to ostensibly provide the first level of support that YouTube was not ready to provide. And they allowed them to become part of the network and and you could do whatever deals with creators you wanted. You could take all of their revenue and give them um, a a hug every now and then. You could... (laughs) Um, you know, share the revenue with them fifty-fifty. You could give them all the revenue and figure out that you'd make it up on volume, I guess. Um, but that was how it started. And then YouTube looked at that and said, "Wait a minute!" And there were some not necessarily great actors in the space, right? Right? Who were um, they? May have been taking a little bit more advantage of creators than others. We, our model, uh, at um, we had a, a great so we had a great and very innovative sales model that goes back to. Um, Early days of television, <laughs> where we did integrations inside of the shows, and uh, in the middle of the show, we'd stop and say, "We had Netflix as a huge client. We made tons of money for creators on Netflix." Yeah, that's
1: when they the signups were actually really good. It's like oh, what they pay like fifty dollars. We, we, oh, no, we uh, more. Oh, was really? Yeah, it really more? More, and more creators made a Oh my goodness.
0: Oh yeah. So um, so we made a lot of money for a lot of creators. Um, but we would share our AdSense revenue with them 50-50, which in retrospect, probably I should've, we should have given them more, but we had a business to run. Because you know, what happens is YouTube took 45% right. and gave 55% to the creators. But as an MCN, we got that money in, and then we cut it in half and gave it to them. If we weren't doing brand deals and integrations and things like that, it was a terrible deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some MCNs that you would go up and do a, you know, hey, I can sign up online and hit a button and sign my name and it's a legal contract and they own my stuff forever. And that happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. and like for me, I don't think it's a, like I don't think like conceptually it was a bad idea. It's just like, it, it. it's just like what what's the nature of humanity? It's like greed. And so, you know, some of the creators are coming in, you know, when you have so many creators to take care of, they're never going to be taking care of them properly. Uh, and then number two, it's just like, the guarantees there's like not a lot of guarantees that a multi-channel channel network would do mm-hmm. um, and there are some great deals like I like with clients that say yeah go with them if they're willing to guarantee oh, these things
0: yeah. well and that's what happened as it got on and on you found that there were it was there were um, a small group of creators that and it's bigger now but that you could make a lot of money off from brand deals you could make a lot of uh, you, they would really rise up your uh, profile and and an interesting thing happened um, so, by the way, so then we would look at those and MCNs would look at those and say, well, we have to have that person on board. And so they'd pay a lot of money to bring that person on board. We actually um, got together with Epic Meal Time really early and did a lot of work with them on creating their content and helping them with production and, uh, and really partnered with them. Um, and then a couple years later, another MCN, which I will not name, came in and took them away from us with dangling tons of money at them. Right. Because, and part of the reason why was in this period, Comscore started ranking. They got the data feed from YouTube of how many views there were. Comscore started ranking all the creators, and as multi-channel networks, all of those creators would be bundled under one, and the bigger you were on the rankings, the more likely you'd get brand deals from brands that didn't have any idea what was going on. So there was a race to become the biggest, because now we were being measured. Rather than being the highest quality, which is what we were doing at Revision 3, and I fundamentally believe that High quality was the way to do it. right? Um, but everybody strove for, excuse me, big, and that meant bringing on lots and lots of smaller tier creators and then paying big bucks to the biggest ones so that you would come in as like, we're number 10 on the Comscore <laughs> rankings. <laughs> um, and then what happened was YouTube looked at this and said, oh, man, there's some bad actors there. First of all, we need to make it so that anybody can get out of their contract if they want to. But they also said, why are they taking money? It should be our money, we're YouTube. Um, and so they started devaluing what the MCNs could do and they started adding more and more things on top of it. And it turns out that you know, in the end, making a, a, a penny um, on some of this stuff just wasn't enough to build, or it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. So the MCNs really did not provide the value that they said they were going to do. They, they brought on too many people and could not talk to all of them and there just wasn't enough money to go around it wasn't a big pie right we didn't end up become we didn't end up in 2012 2013 2014 taking all the money out of television and bringing it to youtube so it just didn't develop to the point where there was enough revenue to make it a sustainable business and that's why you saw everybody sell with these promises and unicorns and rainbows and that's kind of why we are where we are now
2: right i would say one of the, the biggest problems was that it wasn't just that the creators weren't happy the brands also weren't happy right. uh, when they would work directly with an M C N. When when the rubber hit the road and um, there were problems with the contract, you know they were always conflicted of who do I side with, the brand or the or the influencers that I represent. And so my company, which was a very boutique you know influencer agency helping brands get R O I, working with influencers, um, we were growing a hundred percent a year. And a lot of those leads came in because the brand wanted to be represented and right. be taken care of. Um, uh, but but from the creator standpoint, the problem was that they got so many creators where they couldn't bring them all business or, or fulfill oh, yeah. their promises. And, and um, I remember it was like Machinima and also Maker, like we were working with all their talent directly. And um, it got to the point where a lot of, with a lot of these MCNs, the talent would go to them and say, okay, we want to work with, these people, these people, and these people in this company um, directly because they're bringing us more revenue than you are.
0: Well, and then and other people would go you, around you as well. So yeah. um, we, uh, Callie Lewis used to be part of our network. and I love Callie. Um, she's amazing. And we did great stuff together. Well, we did a lot of stuff with Ford and we brought Ford there. And then, you know, somehow they ended up doing a little thing with Ford around us. And it was one of those things like, hmm, maybe. And, and, and in the end, it was fine. And, you know, it, it wasn't a big deal. But you could see those end arounds happening a lot. Um, but I mean, that was that was part of it. But I think in the end it just you didn't need another layer And the other thing that happened is we saw talent agents and managers start to bring these people on and It turns out that at least the, the, the models that I've seen that, that end up being sustainable And this is something we never wanted to do. I never wanted to do talent right. agent. I never wanted to be a manager I always just wanted to uh, help these folks just build great content and get revenue but the, and, and I remember having a conversation with the guys at um, Collective Digital Studios, turned into Studio 71, and they were moving in that direction. I was like, no, that's oh, I don't want to do that. That's awful. I would never do that. And I looked at that as being a strategic mistake. It turns out it was actually the strategic right thing to do. Right. And so the ones that have been successful are the ones that have turned into full service agents and or managers, which basically puts them back into the agency and managing game again.
2: Well, that's what's interesting is the old school business models have been the ones that have prevailed. Yeah. So, a, so exactly. you have like you know a brand. You got to have a newer spin on it, right? Yeah, you have a tech brand agency like mine, and then you have um, that got acquired. Then you have you know a, a talent management group, and that ended up being like the yin and yang of the industry. That ended up you know being able to scale and and make money. Um, but but to be honest, I feel like you guys specifically Revision Three did a lot of innovative stuff, and um, we're out of all the MCNs, stands, I think had the probably the most positive. Um, I mean, people had more positive opinions about you guys than most of the other MCMs out there. Like, for example, the Netflix thing, going, going back to that, that is the only thing in our industry. And we've, we've been here for a long time, and we've been able to see a lot of the different bubbles pop, et cetera, and build a pivot when we need to. The only time where we got frustrated was when we would talk to a creator and say, okay, we're going to work with you, and we're going to pay you this much. It's like, eh, I'm just going to do Netflix, <laughs> because they'd get that commission, and it was a really big one, and that was like the only time where like we felt like we had competition was because of your guys. Your guys well, I'm just doing uh, the math Netflix's in my head right
1: up. now because if it's more than fifty dollars per sign up, oh, and, and it's getting, a free trial. Well, well I think, so here's oh my gosh. So here's here's okay, the. Here's that's, the that's I'll that's tell the you the account. economics of the deal. Okay,
0: um, I'm not going to tell you the actual dollar amount because frankly I don't remember, but it was more than. <laughs> let's just imagine. You'd probably make it up and let's imagine <laughs> it's more than fifty dollars. <laughs> um, so uh, you'd say and. and By the way, um, the guy who set all this up, the the brilliant guy behind our sales team, Brad Murphy uh, and Ryan Dom, who uh, really made this happen and conceptualized it and put it in place. And I was so lucky to have Brad. Brad and I had worked at Tech TV as well. He did sales. I was so lucky Mm -hmm. to work with him. Uh, And um, he actually runs an agency now that is kind of under. He he works directly with brands and creators, um, not as an MCN, more as an agency for brands. Uh, and is very under, he's, he's like doesn't even have a website. He's doing so well and doesn't want anyone to, you know. It's just, <laughs> but so anyway, um, so I think, like, imagine it was more than 50 bucks um, and it would you as a creator, would, we would set these into, like, movie time. So you'd be, hey, your favorite creator said, here's my favorite movie. My favorite movie is um, Avengers. I don't even know if that was out then. My favorite movie is Avengers. And um, I'll tell you what, we're going to do my movie club. Y'all get on Netflix, watch Avengers, and then we're going to talk about it. And um, oh, and sign up for Netflix if you haven't already. And here's a coupon to get 20% off your first six months or something like that. We would get a you know bonus for that, call it over 50 bucks, and we'd split it with the creators. I mean, uh, and that was good, yeah, for both of us.
2: Yeah. Well, some creators um, probably shouldn't have told me this, but they would give me their annual revenues just from that, you know, that deal, and some are making. A significant amount of money. We did
0: a lot of, we drove a lot. I mean, the early days of Netflix, and it and made, then, it made the, the way, industry
2: more more expensive.
0: So <laughs> like, lesson learned, they, they, very inflated. They, yeah, it
2: inflated they, everything.
0: Uh, oh, sorry.
2: Um, <laughs> they, they, it's okay. They Good were.
0: Job, yeah. We we did a lot of stuff with Ford, a lot of stuff with them. They were, not you know, dollar amounts. They were among our biggest clients. We had other clients. I mean, they weren't more than 25 or 30 percent of our revenue. But I still remember we'd already sold Discovery at this point, and I still remember when they changed from signups to branding. And all of a sudden, the whole thing went away. Yeah, and that and, and and that is a lesson that I will say also played out with the MCN thing with YouTube because YouTube changed their policies, and the um, the just the strength and why you did an MCN kind of went away. Mm-hmm. And so, I think the lesson and the lesson that creators can take is don't put all your eggs in one basket, whether it's YouTube or a single client. Um, You need to diversify your revenue streams. That's a lot of what we've been talking about at VidCon here. And that's really a theme for VidCon this year, everywhere we do it, is creative monetization strategies, so you do not get locked in with one platform or one vendor. And because, look, you're not aligned perfectly with these platforms or these vendors. You're not orthogonal, but you're not aligned. And when YouTube decides to move in a different direction or Facebook or whoever you don't want to be saying well that's 100% of my revenue and now I got no revenue so it's time to go back to Starbucks so diversifying revenue is so key and it's key in, in all business and we knew that um, but you know the YouTube thing was going great and we were making a lot of money at it we, we went from distributing on on 30 or 40 different platforms to one YouTube yeah and um, it was good while well, it lasted
1: so okay so here's a question that I have for you because like you, you've been in, in this for a very long time. Um, what's the next iteration of what's going to be happening? What's going what's to be disruption at a new level in the next few years?
0: So now we've disrupted every single media that we've created through digital technology, right? I mean, what haven't we disrupted? Right. HD movies are about it, and you can stream movies and get that. Um, but the pace of technology changed. I mean, to me, it's a story of bandwidth. The bandwidth increases, we're able to, to right. transform different media. Well, bandwidths continue to increase the distribution of it is, is spreading out, and the latency is going down. So, um, And then you look at other things there, even though Moore's Law is sort of challenged, we're still seeing increases in processing power, we're still seeing screens get better, cameras get cheaper, et cetera, et cetera. So it's time to stop disrupting existing media and start creating new ones. Yeah. And so that's what we see happening. I see it, whether it's virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, blah, blah, blah reality. But that, those immersive reality technologies, I mean, look, it's very much in the early days of video games right now where, you know, you'd play a video game on your scratchy old TV screen like Pong. Pong was great, but it wasn't really very complex. Yeah. Uh, and so right now with VR, the screens suck, the headsets are bulky and, yeah. you know, mostly tethered and... It's hard. Well, and the cameras that we're doing, rather than putting the cameras and the binocular cameras at the shape of your eyes here, they end up like way out and the, the distance between that's like, it's like suddenly you're inside the head of an elephant. It doesn't really work. Uh, and that's why we get headaches and fall over and throw up, among other things. Um, and it just, we have not, with VR, taken people and, and put them in a virtual reality that is believable enough so that they transcend belief and think they're there. And then when it comes to augmented reality, the idea that you're going to integrate the digital world and the real world together, look, the Magic Leap sucks. They all suck, all those things that do that. I mean, the and and there's always the phone, right? Everyone's like, well, you know, it's built in your phone and it works great. And we'll see a lot of these over the next year or two. Pokemon Go is an example yeah, of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're coming out, the guys who do Pokemon Go are coming out with a Harry Potter. Uh, but you've got to hold your candy bar, glowing rectangle in front of your face and wave it around to get it. And that... Yeah, there's a tiny little window where the digital world comes in, and that's fun, but I guarantee you we're not gonna be holding that thing in front of our face for hours at a time, because, you know, I mean, my arm will get tired. Um, but so So, but these are baby steps, and we've seen this in all things, in all technology, they're baby steps. We will get there, and we will get to a point where the digital world and the real world are integrated in really cool ways, and the storytellers, oh, yeah. who are gonna be the auteurs of VR and AR, <coughs> They're not us. So there are people out there in their in their teens or maybe younger who are experimenting with the technology, who are going to grow up native with it, are going to learn how to do amazing things. To me, that's the next big break. Yeah,
1: and I, I think that's the 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 key is like the the power of storytelling has been great since the beginning of time, right? And then it's just kind of as there's new mediums, they get more creative of how to connect with an audience, um, and I, and I'm looking right now, it's like there's a lot of SVOD services, and it seems like everybody's coming out with that SVOD service, you know, they're trying to get some paywalls set up from there, and then they're like bringing in creative content to, to build their subscriber base. Um, but I do believe with you, what you're saying too, it's like the next iteration is, these are gonna mature, but the next step is definitely VR, <coughs> AR, or something down that line of, of technology. And I know, just right now, the audience, I, I, I think there's something to be learned about the audience and the behavior of audiences is the, the culture of people that have grown up with video games and watching video games, interacting with video games. It's like when you take that to the next level, uh, you're totally transforming media in a new way. Let me give you an example of this. So you've, you've met my family and I have kids that are literally obsessed with video games and we went to a place called The Void. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like really early prototype. It was in Linden, Utah, of all places. Uh, we went through and it was a full immersive VR experience. And And they put on the gear, they have the backpack and everything. And it was like a it was an Indiana Jones type adventure. Um, and it was like off the charts amazing. And my my two youngest are like, oh, this is like can we just like live here cuz this is like living in a video game and we want to live in a video game. And then when when uh that company uh decided to bring on uh new creatives and like working with other existing IPs. I don't know if you've done the Void experience with Star Wars. It is like off the charts. It is so amazing. Like you come in, you're stormtrooper, you're actually rebels, but you're like going through this process mm-hmm. and it is so immersive and it's just is unbelievable.
2: I, I think it's amazing. Um, but I don't think that's what people are waiting for. I don't think going to a place. Um, oh, I'm not saying well, going yeah, to a place. I'm just yeah. saying
1: that's the first stage. And then yeah. they need to do it in the comforts of wherever they well, want it. But sure. look at the patterns, right? I mean,
0: there were early on in the days of, of video games. That people were building places where you could go play video games, arcades, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. Right, arcades. Right, right. And in the early days of the internet, remember the internet cafe, right? <laughs> that's got to be a cafe and do some email, surf the web. Yeah. Uh, it's that's the phase we're in right now.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, but I think what's gonna really happen, it's gonna be bringing video games, Dungeons and Dragons. And basketball all together. So I it's tell like, you what? it's gonna improve yep. humanity. Well it's gonna <laughs> No no no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Let me explain. Let me wait, explain. Wait, I'm right put my now, up here. What right now. Everyone listen to me. Whoa, 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 whoa. you read listen, Ready Player One, right? Yeah. Yes. See what happened with No, it's gonna be it's going be better than Ready Player One. And, <laughs> and let me explain. So with entertainment or with gaming, you know, it's always been one of those types of, you know, practices or um, forms of entertainment where you really don't do a lot. I mean, it's all your mind, eyes, your senses, and that's it. But what's going to happen is you're going to have your, your phone, and you're going to come to a room like this, and you're going to scan the entire room so you know exactly how big it is. You put the phone in the middle, and then you put on some goggles and an earpiece, and you're going to be playing that, that Star Wars Rebels game in this room by yourself, but with thousands of people across the world. and And it's going to be real, and you're going to be getting fit at the same time, because you're going to be... Running around, doing push-ups, crawling, doing all this stuff that's going to make it so you can not only be enjoying the experience, you're going to be becoming healthy at the same time. And that will be the workout that I do. (laughs) I I will wait. (laughs) (laughs) He's like waiting. (laughs) I will not
1: go to the gym until it happens like this. Right. I I, (laughs)
0: I agree with you, Jenna. And I think, you know, you you know how when we got HDTVs and other stuff, we started to see houses had media rooms, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're going to have, you know, I don't know, immersive experience rooms, VR rooms or something like that. And that'll be the thing that, you know, people get. And then it'll be so easy that you'll just, like you said, you'll be able to just scan whatever room you're in. And, you know, you have your whole house scanned. You'll be able to turn your house into, like, Battlefront or something like that. Right. Which will be uh, really cool. Be I personally am a big Zelda fan. Oh, to yeah. yep. oh, be, wow. be, I, I want to be Link. And I want to get the kite and, or the, the glider. And I want to glide around Hyrule. And there was a VR game. Actually, I got an early vibe. And there was a VR game called Vanishing Realms that for a short period of time... I mean, you know, I had had an arrow and there were orcs coming after me and there was a, you know, there's a stone pillar in front of me and I was going behind the pillar and then shooting and then going behind the pillar and they were whizzing and I was there, I was there for like 30 seconds. I want that for longer than 30 seconds. You
2: know, me too. I think it's going to make it so I'm good at Battle Royale. Because right now, I love, I love playing first person shooters. I love playing Battle Royale. But my... You know eye to hand coordination just sucks and I'm always that guy that gets stuck in the corner and gets shot and even though I'm having fun I'm usually just a team player I'm never Rambo and I, I'm excited because I think once I feel like I have more control and I can you know do things you know I'm, I, even though I'm, I'm overweight guy I'm, I'm more athletic I think it's going to make me a better gamer
1: I I do agree with that and it was pretty funny I was actually with my boys we had a boys night out and they always like literally troll me when I'm playing Fortnite. Like they li- literally <laughs> do. Like my handle's Darth Dereless, by the way. I am a Star Wars geek. But it's like they li- literally. I'm Ricky Raygun. <laughs> and and I'm not too bad. I mean, not I, you know, I don't have 21 kills or anything like that. And we go to the laser tag and I'm like, okay, boys, I'm gonna teach you that this is not Fortnite. And I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna school you. <laughs> and they're like, no, you're never gonna school us. And we had some friends and some YouTubers that were all there. And guess who was number one? Darth (laughs) 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 Derrillis Killed everybody. But no, but I think that's the whole thing is like when you can blend other senses into it, it's going to take it to another another level. The thing that I worry about, and this is something I worry about as a father, is socially, you know, how awkward people are now. And they can't communicate very well in person, but they can online. And I fear for that. And I don't know what your thoughts on that, Jim. I mean, you've seen it over the course of... (gasps) Your yeah, career?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I haven't given it that much thought. I'm, I mean, I'm a geek. I don't think geeks are just... Not, I, I don't know. I think... Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm watching with my son who spent you know most of his, uh, his big gamer adolescent time you know, online, playing League, on Discord, uh, or whatever. And you know, now he's in a university environment. He joined a freaking frat. So, you know, <laughs> he's definitely being social. So maybe there are ways that... So she, sociality, is that a word?
1: It is now. Just put it in the dictionary. Gets shoved at you when
0: you get into certain situations as you like leave the nest. But I don't know. I'm I'm not enough of a good enough social scientist to be able to comment. But, on But
1: but it is there is a sense of therapy too uh, that that comes with gaming. I love and uh, but it, it's like I do have friends that are all around the world and we can come together. And I think that's what that VR experience mm-hmm. will do. But I don't know. I I just I fear just more of that disconnective in-person. But
0: but here's the thing also, we're also, we're talking about imperfect technology that makes it difficult to have all the social cues that we're used to. But, draw a line out in the future, it goes somewhere. If you ever read Robots of Dawn by Isaac Asimov, we will have a, you know, that room that I was talking about, that immersive experience room, it'll become a telepresence room. And you will be able to sit here and I'll, you know, you can have dinner with your best friend, just that there is this wall that doesn't look like a wall separating you. You're able to communicate and you just won't be able to touch. And then we'll probably figure that one out too with tell us something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Haptic no, gloves, just I can just slap you. you. <laughs> 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 well, you
2: know, I disagree, Daryl. I mean, maybe there's going to be some awkwardness, but if you look at junior highs or high schools now, the cool people are the ones that can play Fortnite. Okay. Well, no, no, no. And, I mean, and, I mean, and, they're and, they're like, no, there's like, you know, I have family members as well as, you know, friends that have kids where, their 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 children are, are you know natural um, introverts yep. but right now like they're like they're ballers like i mean they're the ones that are like the cool people because you yeah. can get the most here's the most here's killers. what i'm
1: saying though it's like i, I was taking a group of, of teenagers in our van cuz i have teenagers they have friends yeah. and they weren't interacting but yet they were interacting via text you know is it and more efficient <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're optimizing their down communication down I, all i have to <laughs> say is like you're sitting right next to the person have a conversation.
0: Well, okay, Daryl, do you think that they might have been doing that because you were in the car?
2: <laughs>
1: I'm the coolest dad in the whole wide world. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm uh, sure you yeah. are. <laughs> My kids can validate. <laughs> <laughs> oh. no,
2: that's awesome. No. They, they no, were probably making be, fun of me. <laughs> there's going to be things that we see that change in our culture, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we'll see if it brings us more together or if it separates us. Yeah. Ho- hopefully not. Hopefully we've learned from... I mean the negative things that we learn from social media that we just improve as 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 a human race. When it comes yeah.
1: To I just I just hope it's like cuz there is some things about social media about you know getting in a group and then it's like really polarizing but I don't know there, there's some things that there's some hurdles that we need to to get over. Well but sure,
0: also look know. at the other side of it is that um and we saw like I mean back to tech TV we were the first company to uh, to actually do we put geeks in front of the screen, and, and we we were in the early days of ZDTV. We were only available in <laughs> satellite dishes. You know, there's a satellite dish in the backyard and cows in the front yard, and people would come to us, and we, we actually started giving people video cameras in 1998, 99, and put them. We were the first ones to put real people on TV. People would call us up and be like, oh, my God, I live in a town of 500 people. I had no idea there were other geeks. You're the, This is the first time I've actually met other people like me. And the Internet allows you to find the people like you Absolutely. Even if there's no one within 50 miles like you, and I think that's tremendous.
1: Yeah, and the world is getting smaller. of that. I mean, I mean, I'm not a naysayer, but I just worry about a couple social yeah. things that. No, know. and you're right to worry. By the way, I don't. Mean, yeah. I would put those Are you worried the
2: about the cyborg theory? <laughs> <laughs> that we're all going to become robots? No, I'm worried
1: about you know Skynet taking us all out. You know, <laughs> but we don't go there.
2: Well,
0: becoming robots is just a. Um, it, it's just a point on a line, right? A continuum. I mean, think about it. You have glasses on, right? You're an augmented human. Oh, right. I have contact lenses on, although you can't see them. I am an augmented human. I may not be as augmented as we'll be down and the road, but th- there was a lot
2: of people who were trying to be augmented humans with Google Glass, but just didn't, work. didn't work. Just right. like the Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what are what are other bubbles in our industry, in the creator industry, that you've noticed? Um, you know, we talked about the MCNs, and that's, that was definitely a bubble. Um, Have you noticed anything else? Like one thing that comes to mind are like the platforms. Three years ago, everyone said you got to automate working with influencers, working with the platform. But is really a bunch of companies that didn't have connectivity and just pulled in public data. Um, Are there other bubbles that you're foreseeing here?
0: Well, I think you're seeing an influencer marketing bubble bursting right now. Right. Right. You're seeing because again, you know, there's there's a lot of money there. There wasn't a lot of oversight. There's a lot of ways that you can fake things out and we see this sort of rush by people who all they want to do is become rich, call themselves influencers, and so not that, and, and there's great value to be had with cr- working with creators, as you guys know, we all have seen the value, but um, I think that bubble, I think that um, AR isn't a bubble, where, where VR's bubble's popped. <coughs> the uh, augmented reality bubble is is gonna pop. I mean, Magic Leap has raised how much money? Billions? Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and th- they're not going to deliver that. I actually did, somebody I was talking to about this said, yeah, but who they raise that money from, mostly Google, and Google is going to take it in and, and use it, and it'll become a big part of what Google does. And so I buy that, but I still think, you know, there's, there's a bubble there too.
1: I, I think more, um, I think the bubble that I see is more websites will be more irrelevant uh, moving forward, and it'll be more platform-based. Uh, and, and, and app-based. But I do agree with you on the influencer side. Um, I, I think it's going to be just the way that influencers actually talk about brands. I think it's going to be more brand integration mm-hmm. type of things where it's naturally organic yes. in it yeah, yeah. versus the way that they're pushing it and promoting it. Now, I, we should ask the expert that actually does <laughs> this yeah, right, right. day right. in what and day, you day out. Think, yeah, no, Tell no, no. no,
2: no that, 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 <laughs> I agree with you. I, I think the future of advertising, a big piece of it, is going to be inside the content rather than outside. I mean, look at the trends of Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, YouTube Premium is doing really well. Um, People are trying to avoid advertising as much as they possibly can. And in order to get in front of them, you're going to have to do it in a way where you can be authentically a part of the storyline and not disrupt it, but empower it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. And like, but it goes back to the stuff we were doing at Revision 3. It was like, you got to come in and go in long term, not short term and take your audience places they can't go. Uh, And go together and become a part of the community rather than just coming in and spraying your message around and running away.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's definitely going to be interesting how things transform. I'm really excited about it. I'm excited where the direction that's going. Um, I'm probably the most excited about the creativity and the level of creativity and the storytelling. Um, I was really impressed with Netflix and how they were able to bring original content, and how it was able to disrupt television and Hollywood in a in a different way, and and two, it's just like they're not. There's no one really saying, "Oh, you can't make this type of content because we don't necessarily agree it." and We're paying for it. It's like, no, you have a concept. Let's go ahead and do it. You have some creativity. There's no thresholds of what you need to hit. It's like we can just tell if we're going to just renew it or not.
0: I also love the fact that anybody around the world who is creative and wants to put the work in, and and has that sort of um, part of an artist can create and get it out there and find an audience whereas 15 years ago you had to go to New York or LA or Hollywood or some or, or Bollywood or London or wherever if you wanted to be a content creator and you had to rise up and somebody had to anoint you as this or that now you know as long as you have the energy and the drive and the creative spark you can do it
1: yeah so uh, before we go, I just one last big uh, important question: Is there anything that you see is going to be the next big thing besides AR, VR? Is there anything that's on the rise? Is there any platform or anything that you're interested in right now? Well, you know, I mean,
0: it's the the cat's out of the bag, but I think you see what TikTok is doing is really interesting. And we were talking about, you know, been been a lot of buzz at this show about TikTok and where they're going and what they're doing. Uh, I think. I think that'll be interesting to see it develop. It's really, really interesting stuff. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff happening on there. I think we will see other platforms emerge doing interesting things. What I wonder, and I don't know, is we have some very broad platforms that social video is on. Will it start to narrow into more sort of into smaller and smaller and more sort of narrow-oriented platforms? I don't know. The other one is LinkedIn, and we talked a fair bit about LinkedIn at the
1: show too, that I think is really cool. Yeah, LinkedIn video is very interesting for, for brands and also creators that are doing some amazing things. Well, here's so. the thing. So, first of all,
0: most of the social nets we have are designed for your leisure time. They're designed for your life, for your personal life. But we spend so much time at work, and there's only one right now that goes after the work graph, not the social graph, to get all sort of social network techie on you, and that's LinkedIn. Yeah, and so the types of things I think that are going to be successful there are not successful on YouTube, which is great because it opens up lots of opportunity for creators who just might not be right for YouTube, but they can make things on LinkedIn. And so I think the next, um, I think the next Tony Robbins, the next Gary Vaynerchuk, those sorts of people will be growing up on LinkedIn and building
1: their influence that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you everyone for watching this podcast and our live audience. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're all about disruption and disruption starts with you. So we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you so much.